This is OU Live. My name is Rabbi David Pardo. Thanks for joining us tonight. We have an exceptional program lined up for you. We are going to be talking about food. Uh, we'll be talking about food insecurity. We have some um, really world-class champions for uh, the Jewish people and for people in need in general coming up in a little bit. We thought we'd start with something really, really relevant to just about everybody watching this right now, um, which is the question of food that you can eat over Pesach, <laughs> just about anybody. And we have uh, one of the world experts, no joke, on with us now, Rabbi Joravel. Rabbi Joravel, you there? I'm here, sitting in Mansi. In <laughs> um, Rabbi Joravel works for OU Kosher. And um, can you tell us a little bit about what you do, Rabbi Joravel? Uh, I evaluate uh applications uh, for certification from new companies. So that means if a company wants to be kosher, they have to send in an application and we have to work with them and uh, try to bring that application to fruition, but not everything can be kosher. And when they send in an application, they don't always give you all the information that we're looking for. So I'm actually trained somewhat as a dentist to pull teeth to get some information out of the company, to evaluate whether we can do it or whether we can't do it. Then we send someone in and he files a report and then I have to go through that report with that person to see what he, if he missed anything, we get the ingredients in. But uh, I, I work with the, very much with new companies. I work with ingredients and uh, I've been to all 50 states in the United States. I'm a member of the All 50 Club and I've been to 40 countries so far. That's, do you have like a, a map up? Do you keep a record that way or is this, it's all up here? I have a map of the world in my office with little colored pins of all the countries I've been in. And I also have a certificate that I'm a member of the All 50 Club. If you look online, you'll find there is such a thing. And Ooh. I am a member. And How many West, people are in it? Only a few thousand. Okay. And now you're on the short list. What's yeah. the most unusual product you were asked to certify? We've been asked to certify quartz countertops for Pesach. <laughs> and we're actually certifying it. We did go through the ingredients that we used over there. There's certain glues that are used and things like that. And uh, we, we, we actually do some quartz countertops for Pesach. I don't say that it needs a hersha for Pesach. But uh, they asked it to be certified, and we did it. Um, have you ever been asked to certify ham? Has someone been dumb enough to ask? Uh, I don't think they, I don't remember getting an application for ham. But we've gotten applications for uh, chicken extracts and shrimp extracts and wanted to know what was involved with kosher and uh, certain things we just can't do. I, I tell the companies that I may be a magician, I, but I cannot pull a rabbit out of my hat. I can uh, pull a pigeon out, but rabbits are not kosher. Um, what should people know about things that they're allowed to buy now for Pesach, things that they can buy during Pesach for Pesach that don't have an OUP or some kind of kosher for Pesach symbol? Well, the OU has an extensive list of products that don't need a hersha for Pesach. 
They also have a second list of products that are certified year-round that don't say OUP, which are fine for Pesach anyway. And the, but, the, but people shouldn't just make assumptions. I'll, I've had people that have called me and told me, what could be wrong with this product? Let's take something like sun-dried tomatoes which are very flavorful. You can use them in cooking. You can use them in salads. They're really, really a, a uh, nice item. And Not quite delicious. They are. Good for you. Really, and there's a lot of flavor in them. More flavor than in a fresh tomato because it's concentrated. And I was in Turkey at a plant that was making sun-dried tomatoes. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I don't see any ascorbic acid, which is sometimes used there. It was on their ingredient list. I said, where's the ascorbic acid? Oh, there's a bag over there, but we don't use it. I said, oh, okay. How do you do this? They said, here, look out the window. You see that field there? You had people in the field picking up tomatoes off the vine, slicing it in half, and laying it on a blue tarp, and coming back the next day and taking it after the sun dried it. The sun is pretty strong in Turkey during the summertime. But I saw there was a blue drum in the middle of the field and people were walking over to it and walking away. I said, what is that? Um, is that for drinking water? I, what is this? It looks very, pretty primitive. And they said, that's an ascorbic acid solution. Ascorbic acid is also known as vitamin C. And ascorbic acid could easily be chametz because ascorbic acid is made from sorbitol, which is made from starch. And it could be made from wheat starch. It could be made from corn starch. It could be made from tapioca. But, uh, but ascorbic acid in itself is a very serious issue for Pesach. And so they take the vitamin C, mix it with water. If you dip the tomato in there, it will stop it from turning brown in the sun. Uh, you know that um, there's such a thing called potato whitener that uh, people... Uh, <clears throat> I, I didn't know before today. Uh, well, I thought potatoes it, are just white on their own. Yeah, but when you grind a potato and make a kugel and you don't get it in the oven quickly, it's going to turn brown. And if you peel an apple and you don't eat it quickly, it's going to start turning brown. It's going to start oxidizing. And if you put a little ascorbic acid there, or even a little lemon juice, which is citric acid, that will stop it from turning brown. So they don't, they want these tomatoes to keep their color. It's, it's really, it really works as a color preservative. It actually goes into some pickled meats also to preserve the color. And so I saw with my own eyes that they were taking the tomato, dipping it in the barrel, and then laying it on the tarp. And if you don't go and see what the production is, you can't make an assumption. There's no ascorbic acid listed on the ingredients. And uh, you, you're not going to see, you don't see it used in the factory at all. And this, this is what it is. If it's not in that list, you can't just make an assumption what could be wrong with it. It could be lots of things wrong with it. I was at another plant in... France, uh, was it France? I don't remember if it was, no, it was in the Netherlands. Yeah, this was in the Netherlands, yes. Where they were actually refining cocoa butter, 
for use in chocolate. And on the same refinery equipment, they were doing wheat germ oil also. Now, wheat germ oil is chametz. And they don't do any cashering in between. They do a flush. But you don't, if you're using the same deodorizer for the wheat germ oil as you are for the cocoa butter, that cocoa butter is not for Pesach. That's why not all chocolate bars are good for Pesach. Have you ever had to remove a certification from a company that violated uh, an agreement? It happens, yes. Are, are we allowed to talk about it or it's one of those things we don't talk about? Well, most of that information is confidential. We can't go into which company or where or things like that. But if there's a gross violation, we have no choice, but we have to remove the certification. What, what do you think is, is uh, people listening or stocking for Pesach? I uh, myself just got back from the supermarket, kind of had to risk my life for my family. Um, like big, big uh, products that they should or could be buying just stam, not in the Pesach aisle, in the normal aisle that they don't know about. Coffee. You can buy Nescafe coffee. Only but, caffeinated, right? Uh, right. Yeah, the OU has an extensive list of decaffeinated ones also, which are approved for Pesach. Some of them are. The reason the other ones are not is because of the method they use to decaffeinate coffee. Some coffee is decaffeinated. There's natural caffeine in a coffee bean. If you take that bean and you wash it very much in ice water, it's called the Swiss water method, that will remove the caffeine. There's another method that they use where they use a chemical called ethyl acetate. Ethyl acetate is made from alcohol and acetic acid, both of which could be chametz. So you have to know which method was used to decaffeinate the coffee. Uh, real lemon lemon juice is something we certify 12 months a year as Pesach. You don't have to look for the for the for the so-called kosher brand with the Hebrew writing on it. It's, it's just as kosher as the real lemon. And, and, and these things are in the OU directory, which is available online. For those um, that know how to use a computer. For the, those who know how to use a computer and uh, who could download an app, right? The OU Kosher app, I think also has uh, these lists. I've been told that it's there. Remember, I'm 68 years old, so uh, me and a computer are not on a first-name basis. <laughs> Understood. Rabbi Jurevel, thank you for carving out some time to, uh, to speak with us and the listeners. Okay, you're welcome. Okay, have a chag kosher with Sameach and stay safe. Chen Lamar, stay healthy and Aziz and Pesach. Okay, yeah, bye-bye. You are on OU Live. My name is Rabbi David Pardo. You just heard from Rabbi Jorvel. Our upcoming guest is Allison Deal. Allison Deal runs the Kosher Food Lifeline. Allison, you there? How are you? I'm great. How are you? Very busy. Baruch Hashem, doing well. I know this is uh, this is an insane season for you. You're doing Kosher Food Lifeline year round, but before Pesach must be just a different world. With the virus, it's it's something we've never experienced before. Um, so for, for like the few of us who don't know about the kosher food lifeline yet, could you tell us what this department is and what do you do? Sure. 
During the year, during regular normal times, we work with food pantries, kosher food pantries, Tomchei Shabbos, Beaker Holems, any organization that gives out kosher food for free at no cost to those in need in their community throughout the country. We work to help support them with getting them food that they need, either procured wholesale at a low cost or for free from donations through manufacturers. We work with the government, USDA, with food banks, Feeding America, to help them sign up with food banks for memberships that they can get free food to help their community through their local states. Um, we are here to help support kosher food pantries. And what does that look like now, pre-Pesach and during COVID-19? You could take that question either, either way. So before Pesach, months ago, we started planning for Ma'as Chitim, where we have funding that we were able to distribute to kosher food pantries throughout the country. It was, of course, limited funding, but it was the purchase of chicken. And luckily, 34 pantries were able to take advantage of this, and we were able to give them for free at no charge. Um, beautiful, beautiful protein before Pesach. Now, with, with the coronavirus, there are so many more places than people in need. It is, it's really wild and everyone's aware of this. So in response to that, we have stepped up the game and we've almost doubled the Ma'as Chitim campaign. Um, so we are giving out direct funding into communities um, because we recognize that it is very close to Pesach. And we also know that right after Pesach, all these pantries are going to have to quickly restock their shelves and continue to support their community. Um, and furthermore, in the efforts to help communities right now, outside of the funding, we're looking to match up communities that need food assistance with those that either have a surplus or have something to offer at a very low cost. So we are making those matches as well. I mean, I, I know that it's an issue for truckers to even get into certain places right now. How are, how are just the normal... I, just the normal things that, you know, people delivering food, are you able to deal with that? Are you helping them in any way? Is that an issue? Is it preventing you from, from getting things where they need to go? So there have been delays across the board. Just that's something that's happen, happening nationally. There are truckers that are uh, hesitant to come into New York. Um, so that therefore there are less truckers within New York. And as we know, the kosher for Pesach food is within the New York, New Jersey area primarily. Um, so that has created some delays and communities have felt that in their own kosher grocery stores many times. Um, I know of many communities that they said that certain shell, that their shelves are not stocked right now and they're very nervous. So deliveries were delayed and um, things are late in coming in. So we are working hard to find alternate routes, but it's definitely a challenge. Are you finding ways, meaning I'm just, how much of the supply line is Allison deal? Are you, are you picking up the phone and calling the truckers? I, I, like I, I just have no clue. <laughs> I understand. We're trying hard. Allison Deal is trying very hard to make the connection, to make the connection so that when a pantry calls me up in X state um, and they say, listen, we were supposed to get X, Y, and Z from our grocery and now we're not able to, what do we do? I can then pick up the phone and call a few different manufacturers and say, what do you have? When would you be able to get it to them? How can we make sure that they have what they need within the next two days? And, and, and this is not just, a th this is what you're doing. You're actually... Yeah. Picking up the phone and talking to manufacturers all day long. That's wow. part of it. Wild. What, um, 
people watching from home who are not just curious about this, but wish that they could help in some way, is, is there a way for, for people to help participate? Absolutely. If, if you're not in a position to be able to help financially, please go to our website. It's ou.org slash KFL. And there is a form that if you know of food that is available or you have connections to someone, let's say it's um, a manufacturer, a producer, it could be a, a program perhaps, um, you can fill out the form to submit information that you know of food that's available. And it could be in any community so that we can keep it local and make sure that food doesn't go to waste. That's, uh, that's very exciting. And the Moschitin campaign is ongoing and people are, thank God, participating in ways that we didn't, uh, we couldn't anticipate, right? Yeah, our community is amazing. There, there really is nothing like it and we're stepping up to help support one another. Allison, any, uh, anything else that you wish you could share or stories or something before we, uh, before we take off? Uh, sure. We were talking about trucking and how trucking has been delayed. The deliveries are coming at night. <laughs> this week on Tuesday night, a delivery was made at about 9 p.m. into the community. The volunteers still came out to help to help to unload the truck physically. They were helping to unload the truck. They opened up their warehouse. They put everything inside. And then the next day, they helped to organize all the products to go outside. They lined it up in a parking lot far apart, more than six feet apart that families could then pick up, locate their names, and just put it into their cars and drive off. They were trying very hard to maintain um, the necessary health standards while ensuring that everyone gets what they need. And it is a very tricky balance for those that are out there on the front lines helping to support people to ensure that they get food. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy, and I think that these people deserve a tremendous amount of credit. They are physically going out there to ensure that people get what they need, going to people's homes and leaving packages outside their door. And it's, it's tremendous work. It's amazing. It's phenomenal what our community is doing right now. It really sounds like it. And uh, just if you happen to uh, chat with one of these volunteers or truckers in the next couple of days, let me know. Maybe we can, we can oh, give them the recognition they deserve. Yes. <laughs> Allison, sounds good. Allison, stay safe. Thank you for coming on the program. Have a decent Pesach. Thank you, you too. You are on OU Live. My name is Rabbi David Pardo. We have an exciting amount of programming and we're actually increasing next week the amount of programming that we're doing at the OU. So I wanna plug uh, right now, um, a lot of the Programs are information. Thank God things are moving very quickly. But something that is locked in is our upcoming Seder program. About half the Starm you can imagine in the world are going to be run this year by people who have never run a Seder before. Uh, might be causing some anxiety. And uh, like uh, Rabbi Einhorn said, uh, if anything, it's an opportunity, a great opportunity. So tune in um, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday during your lunch hour, 1.15, following the National Tehillim call, we are having superstars talk for just about 45 minutes about how to really give, say a Seder, lead a Seder in a way that's a little bit past a vort here, a vort there, and really engage the entire family, ou.org slash Seder, ou.org slash Seder. In the meantime, I'd like to introduce our next guest, Joseph Gittler is the founder of Leka. Joseph, you there? I'm here. And I'm here. And you're live. Joseph, to be with you. welcome. How are Thank you? you so much. Personally, I'm well. Thank God. My family's well. We have uh, 
space to spread out and enough food on the table. Thank God. That's, uh, for, for now, that's actually doing really well. Yeah, I don't think there's much more we can ask for right now. And my kids think this is the greatest vacation ever. So, I mean, they, we were supposed to be coming to the States from Israel for Pesach. That's not happening. They're disappointed about that. They're disappointed not to see their grandparents. But they know that they're in a very good spot in relation to so many others in Israel and the rest of the world. They probably have a particular awareness that uh, not, not many kids can appreciate. So can you tell us about that? Tell us about what Leka does normally, not Pesach, not COVID-19. What, what is Leka? Okay, so Leket Israel. Leket, you know, harkens back to our biblical uh, commandments. Leket Shikha Upea, which were the commandments of the farmers to help the poor. And we've basically adopted that for modern times. And the adaptation is that wealthy Western societies like Israel, like the U.S., like Canada, we waste food with abandon. The uh, a shocking goes, amount. I think like 30 percent. to 50 we're, we're, we're even up to 40 to 50% normally. It's changing. There's more awareness about it now. And the environmental movement has impacted how people think about food. But that being said, the waste is still staggering. So what Leket generally does is we take advantage of all this waste in order to feed the poor. Our two main projects are working with the hotel industry, the catering industry, the army, corporate cafeterias, events, to rescue excess food that's left from those events. And the second part of what we do is we work very closely with the farming community, individual farmers, kibbutzim, packing houses, again, to rescue fruits and vegetables that look funny, are damaged, have orders have been canceled, prices are low, so they're not making it to the market. And all that food is transported to over 200 nonprofit organizations throughout the state of Israel. And you have those direct connections with the 200, the nonprofits, the uh, kitchens, the pantries? Yeah, they're, they're soup kitchens, they're homeless shelters, they're battered women's shelters, after school clubs for kids, uh, subsidized housing for the elderly. We deliver to them because what we learned on day one when I founded the organization was that these are the organizations, they're doing God's work and they need help. So you can give them money, which they need, or you can give them food, which they need as well. And because of the way Leket works, for every dollar we spend, we usually bring in four to five dollars worth of food. So it's great leverage. And you're delivering cooked food, sometimes fruits and vegetables, directly to agencies where now they don't have to worry about cooking it. And I'll add one layer, we're bringing them the highest quality food that you can get. How nice is it to take a soup kitchen who's normally giving very cheap food with low budgets for purchasing, and now you're bringing them excess from an expensive wedding or bar bat mitzvah or from some amazing corporate cafeteria. So there's something very special about treating our, our poor that way. In fact, it, it connects very nicely now with Pesach because uh, you know we see, and I, I was just learning, don't, I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea here, okay? But I was just learning, my wife told me, we all have to prepare, prepare divrei Torah, we're making a Haggadah for, the, for my mother and for our in-laws, we're making, if they're watching this, okay, won't be a surprise, fine. We're making them our own Haggadah where each kid's gonna write a Devar Torah. So I started to look and, and write, write in Pesachim, it says it very clearly that even the Ani has to have Arba Kosot, right? 
even the poor person. So there's lots of discussion about it, but in my, from my take for Leket, it just says there's something very powerful about giving people, especially in a wealthy Western country like Israel, quality food. Yeah, and people shouldn't have to be sitting out just because they're in a, a worse place in life, in a worse situation. So tell me, what, what, how is the coronavirus, which start, started, hit Israel before America, most of people watching now are American, corona started earlier. How has that impacted the food supply chain and your work and these nonprofits? I know here in America, like a lot of shelters are full, closing down, essential, non-essential, there's a lot of uh, chaos. So how, how is that playing out by you? Great question. So we, we started planning about a month ago as we saw that things were getting worse, us and many other charities throughout Israel. Um, to address the first question, no one in Israel is feeling any food shortages. There's some talk, maybe a shortage of eggs, but it's just talk. I think that's people were hoarding eggs before Pesach, so there's a shortage, but everyone has, a you know, one guy has 100 eggs, the other guy has zero. So um, no food shortages, no runs. A lot of egg hoarding market. going around. They, they won't let us buy that too many eggs here. Right. And, and, and it should be that way. Everyone should have what they need. And I think they know in the religious communities or people are keeping Pesach that people use a lot of eggs on Pesach. So we started planning about a month ago, getting nervous. We didn't know exactly uh, what was going to be. But for us, and this is why we launched a campaign two weeks ago, which I'll get to, but basically about two weeks, uh, three weeks ago, we started to see hotels are starting to shut down. Corporations are starting to tell their employees to work from home. Bar weddings are going from 500 people to 100 people to 10 people to, I think, two people today. And what, what we knew was the writing was on the wall that our normal source of food. Now, understand, we rescue about 10,000 cooked meals a day. Okay, We saw the writing on the wall and we knew that those meals were about to disappear. Last week, we were still getting 1,500 meals from the Army. The latest report I got today from our team uh, was 250 meals. So out of 10,000 meals that we normally rescue, because the hotels are closed and the corporations are closed, there's no waste, we got 250 meals today, just as an example. So we made a big decision two weeks ago, and that was to launch a campaign, which is the first time we're doing something like this since 2014, when there was the war in Israel. And the campaign is really simple. Leket never buys food because there's so much waste. However, our entire business model is now shot. The people that we serve, if they were vulnerable yesterday, they're more vulnerable now, and there are many more of them, okay? Right, just the, the pain of unemployment, of people who don't have savings. Uh, there's so many more people. We knew, we just knew there's so many more people who are gonna be reaching out. So we basically launched this campaign. Yeah, your model's lopsided. All the extra totally. food we, isn't we there anymore, and the need for food is, yeah. is greater. Yeah, everything, it's, it's a very hard time for everyone and, and everyone around the world is facing this, every charity, every, every rabbi, every leader around the world. So we launched a campaign two weeks ago. Initially, it was for five weeks. We're about to announce that it's gonna be for eight weeks. We hope that's for long enough. Please God, it should be over in eight weeks, who knows? And the basic idea of the campaign is Leket is gonna hire four of the catering companies who normally give us food for free. They're gonna hire back their staffs, their staffs, who are not, that's nice because they'll, they'll be able to work. And we are gonna order, if we have the funds in place, 10,000 meals every single day for distribution to our normal organizations and others 
that crop up. The nice thing to the nice thing I can tell you is the philanthropic community overseas and even more importantly in Israel have reacted very strongly to this appeal. We've raised enough money for the next uh, three weeks to feed 10,000 people a day. And on Sunday, we're gonna launch a campaign to try to raise enough money for three more weeks. Now understand, we are spending, just to put into perspective, yeah. we are, and this is not money to pay for staff salaries, and this is not money for the day it's after. It's all, all new money. All new all, money all new just to buy meals. We're spending 200,000 shekels every day. It's a lot of shekels. I don't know, $55,000, $60,000 every day just to purchase meals. Normally it costs us four shekels to rescue and deliver a meal, let's say a dollar. Now it's costing us 20 shekels. That's why, you know, that's what we need to be doing now. And I'm, I'm very, very pleased, most pleased, and I think it's important for people watching it, at, that for every donation we're getting from overseas, we're getting three to four donations in Israel. Israelis understand this is a crisis everywhere in the world. They need to help. They can't just rely on diaspora philanthropy. And they're giving, and they're giving big. And I think it's very heartening because we're used to crises in Israel. It's our crisis, no one else's. And this is the first time, certainly, you know, to, certainly September 11th was a crisis in the U.S., New York specifically, where I grew up, um, as you can probably hear. But... Uh, <laughs> Although they say I don't have a strong New York accent, so I don't know. I actually wouldn't uh, have picked you for a there strong you New York go. accent. Yeah, and yeah. I grew up in, no, I grew up in, in Washington. What do you, what do you drink in the morning? <laughs> what do I drink in the morning? Yeah, what, what what's I the drink? beverage called? What's, oh, uh, milk? No, orange, coffee. Oh, orange juice. Coffee. Oh, coffee, coffee. Co there you go. Coffee? All right. I know. Well, I'm married to a Canadian. Is that is that a shift? I've I've been hearing this conversation actually for like a couple of years now that I, Israel is a startup nation. You got all these VCs and Silicon is it Silicon Beach or Silicon Wadi? Silicon, Silicon Wadi. Wadi. Silicon Wadi. Beach is LA. It's my my uh, Alterheim. Um, and that the dynamic is going to shift, and the philanthropy is really starting to come from Israel to America, or at least from Israel within Israel. Do you think that is that? Is that just like a cool story people are telling? Or? Israel to America, that's, although, you know, personally, I gave a donation recently that I sent to, to, to New York because I was just, what I'm seeing in New York is horrifying me. Um, but I don't generally do that. I keep my own personal giving in Israel. Israel to, Israel to America, I don't see, that's not a story. That's a, that's a fable. I don't see that happening. You know, you may have Israel to Israel. Is that are you Israel like, within Israel? The numbers are growing every day, every year. It's still not where it should be, but it's getting much better. Okay, it's getting much better, and and diaspora philanthropy continues strongly to Israel, Baruch Hashem, because not just because we need it, but I think that's an essential part of keeping diaspora Jews connected to Israel, is and feeling part of it is that help that people give. And Israel still is a country that has threats and has to spend money on things that no one else needs to. And we still do need the help, although not as much as we did in the past. And that's because of the success of the country, which is all we all dreamed about. Has your, has your, has your staff reacting to this new, this new campaign and this new uh, initiative and like a kind of like a reworking of Lekat and especially during this, you know, very difficult time, I'm sure. A lot of them personally. So th thank you for asking that. First of all, it gives me an opportunity to 
thank my amazing staff. You know, I spend all day at home in this comfortable room, pretty much talking on the phone, doing interviews, um, trying to raise money, giving ideas, making my CEO crazy. That's what I spend my day doing. A lot of my team is out there driving trucks, delivering meals. They're on the front lines. You know, they're not on the front lines like our doctors who we and nurses and healthcare professionals, but they're pretty close to that. And um, they are all, and no one has to come. Most people are working from home, but those who need to be out there, no one's forced to be out there. They're all doing it. They want to help. Um, I think a lot of people who work for us understand they can make more money in the private sector, but it's a calling. My truck drivers tell me all the time, Joseph, we don't, the work we do isn't that different than what we did before. I used to deliver furniture. Now I deliver food. But the, uh, how do we say this? I'll say in Hebrew, the sipuk, the, the satisfaction. Um, satisfaction, thank you, that we get at the end of the day when we come home to our spouses and say, you know, today I delivered food to the poor, usually directly to agencies, but today we're doing a lot of door-to-door deliveries because many of our agency partners aren't working in their normal course of business. Everything has changed. Everything's fluid. Um, and we're having to be very fluid as well. Uh, just to give you an example, um, we generally don't work with municipalities. We work just with the charities. We're working now with about 20 municipalities, which have set up um, emergency food distribution networks. Okay. And here, to give you an example. So the city of Modian set up an emergency food distribution network. And actually, Rabbi David Fine, who... Um, an American rabbi living in Modian runs the Barkai Center the, for the good Brandeis boy, actually. Yeah, a wonderful. Okay, Brandeis and was a rabbi in the state. Send him a for me. Um, he, you know, he basically called up the city and said, "I have ten rabbis in Modian. How can we help?" And they said, "We want to put you in charge of the logistics of delivering the food." Okay, which is like he had never done that before, but he organized it through that power of the rabbis, and organized, and they've been. And so Leket is part of that. We bring the food to them and they distribute it to the people who need it. The beautiful story. So last thing, people who want to uh, participate, help out financially, if there's an way, and also if there's plugs for non-financial, but uh, everyone wants to participate in some way. So how do they find the campaign and what's your, what's your advice to people? Sure. So first of all, in, in normal times, Leket has about a thousand volunteers a week. Um, working in the fields, working in our warehouse. Right now, we're not accepting. It was very sad. Four weeks ago, we canceled all our volunteer groups through the end of April. It was just so sad. And we had to do it because, A, it's impossible to do now. And B, our staff really just wants to be with the rest of the staff where, you know, everyone knows where they've been, where they're going. And just we've keep, added extra smooth staff. And... Yeah, we've added extra staff to try to make up for our volunteers. That's one of the things we've been spending money on as well. So normally I'd say come and volunteer first, but hopefully once this thing is over, anyone watching this, please reach out, come and volunteer. Uh, the other way people can help, uh, please go to our website, leket, L-E-K-E-T dot O-R-G. Uh, we need support. It costs us $38 a week to serve uh, a person for a week with these emergency meals that we're purchasing. As I said, we're, we're doing about 10,000 a day. So we do need a heck of a lot of funding uh, to keep this going. Any, um, any amount is welcome. 
And I'll add one last piece, which people can take advantage of. Uh, and, and I'm going to say I'm going to say two things. Um, an Israeli funder, Marius Nacht, um, who is one of the co-founders of Checkpoint, one of Israel's most successful tech companies, has given a million shekels to Leket as a matching grant. So anyone who donates um, from this podcast can take advantage um, of that. That's number one. Number two, just to say one nice donation that came in uh, because of that match already, um, and this we were, we're allowed to make public, it's already been in the press in Israel, is we got a call from Ambassador Friedman's office. And when he heard about this match, um, he actually donated $50,000 from his own money, not from your tax dollars, from his own pockets. <laughs> um, and if he's watching this, um, um, towards this campaign. So that gave us a nice running start on that million shekel match. So uh, people are coming through. We need all the help we can get. And um, everyone should have a wonderful Pesach. And for those who are alone this year uh, for the first time, uh, give you strength to get through it. That includes my mother, uh, who was supposed to be with us for Pesach in Israel. And now she's going to be by herself. Aye, and aye. I'll do one more shout out to my uncle. You might know him, Shimi Tenenbaum, um, <laughs> who's very involved in, uh, in the OU. And my mother's first cousin, Steve Savitsky, also very involved in the well, OU. Got, got half the board there. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, half the board. So there we go. And uh, everyone should feel well and listen to the health authorities, please. Uh, Joseph, thanks for cutting out the time and stay safe and have a Chak Asher Thank you for the opportunity. Our pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for what you're doing. Thank you. So there you have it. Um, I'm watching on, uh, on Twitter and on social media just these terrifying stories of people who normal, hardworking, last week had I don't know, two weeks ago had paying jobs uh, and are now counting calories, but not the way they're used to counting meals. So we live in unsecure times, but it is extremely heartening to know that there are people out there who are really working 24 7, 24 6, um, but definitely 24 around the clock to make sure that people have the basic necessities to make it through this time and there are ways for those of us who are lucky enough i know not everyone's lucky enough but those of us who are lucky enough to help there are ways for us to help so make sure to keep your eyes open for those in the meantime this is ou live my name is rabbi david pardo stay hey stay healthy